Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Hope for Christianity, hope for America. If you've been following along in the first two episodes, you know that we spent a uh, somewhat dismal and challenging beginning talking about the challenges that we face, the research that so many people have done that continues to echo the challenges that the church is facing, the decline of the church, the ineffectiveness of the church, so many churches losing our grip on America, and the unchurched, the huge number of unchurched people, the loss of pastors in the future, less and less pastors available, the forecast of becoming like Europe with empty cathedrals or Russia, the civil unrest in our country, the shootings, the cop killings, the drugs, the suicides, and the values war that we're in and and all the rest. It's just one of those significant issues that we face. And we looked at the whole issue of traditions and how we're like those monkeys that went for the banana and got sprayed with water. And then several generations later, they were still beating up the monkeys that went for the banana. And they didn't even know why, because they were doing what they always did. And that's the way we've always done it. And then we went into the second episode talking about transitions. We talked about the importance of change and how sometimes when we're uncomfortable, we're more open to innovation and rethinking and what is what are the roadblocks, the unintentional roadblocks that are holding us back. And we looked at what Phyllis Tickle taught us about the great emergence, how every 500 years the church cleans out the attic of things that are holding us back from our potential and how we're right there now in this time in history. And we, we're living right in one of those 500-year transition periods. And we talked about Christianity and the, how we're not a Christian nation, but we act like we're a Christian nation. And pastors aren't trained to be missionaries, so they can't train other people to be missionaries. And so pastors end up being trained as managers of Christians. And so then we talked about training young people in uh, Send North America, the 10-month boot camp, so that these young people, in addition to a church, very inexpensive, can raise their own support and are trained to be missionaries and can train others in your church to be missionaries and get the mission movement going. We talked about Healthy Churches Thrive, the 36-month process by which, through a lot of different learning experiences and activities, people learn to be missionaries to their own social networks. And then we talked about the role of holy discontent. Those people in the church that are already ready and early adopters to move forward, we just need to find out who they are. We talked about the surveys that are available that we use in our consultation ministry to discover those people. Then we talked about how people in America are more receptive than they've ever been and how There's a a lie of the enemy that people who are not going to our churches, aren't going to any church, are people that don't really care about spirituality, which is absolutely a lie and not true. And that brings us to this episode, The Hunger for Hope. And it's just a fascinating concept when you think about the power of hope, because hope, you see, is the fuel to turn unbelievers into receptive receivers of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Just think about what the Bible says about hope. In Psalm 130, verse 7, it says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. 
In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Things we hope for. That's what faith is all about. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, When the true message, the good news, first came to you, you heard about the hope it offers. So your faith and love are based on what you hope for which is kept safe for you in heaven. <laughs> in the next verse, it says, the gospel keeps spreading. So there's a direct result between the hope in there in Colossians and the gospel spreading. It's very important to catch that connection. And then as we look at 1 Peter 1.3, it says, by God's great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope. Isn't that amazing? I want to ask you a question. So, why did Jesus, when he came into this world, land in Israel? Or to say it another way, why did the Father send the Son of all places, not to Baltimore? Oh, it didn't exist yet. That might be one reason. <laughs> Not to North America, not to uh, some other place, but why Israel? Well, of course, that's an easy question to answer because the prophets for years had been prophesying that Jesus would come and land among the people of Israel. And so that's, yeah, that's a no-brainer there. It was the land that God had promised the people of Israel they fled Egypt. They were led to the promised land. It was the promised land, promised by God. And it really, there wasn't going to be any other place that Jesus would be born into this world. So it's a no-brainer. Israel is going to be the destination. But the real question I want to ask you is why then? Why at that time in history? Why precisely at a time when Israel was occupied by pagans, the Romans, the hated, scary, mean Romans, soldiers from a foreign government marching through their streets, an army of nasty people who invented persecution and who invented crucifixion and who were feared and terrified people everywhere they went. And so why at a time when these Romans with their pagan emperor living a terrible life in the view of an Orthodox Jew, just an abomination life before their God would just make them sick to think about this emperor taxing them and their money going to that emperor building monuments to himself and purchasing more armies to conquer more lands, to subjugate more people, to tax them, to build more empire, to so on and so forth. Yeah, it just goes on and on. So why then, why would God send Jesus to the promised land at that point? I think it was because the people in this land promised by God himself were overrun by these foreign pagans 
the Romans, and therefore the people of Israel were hopeless. How would you feel if a foreign government came into your land and they were marching the streets and you scared to death of them and they taxed you and sent the money somewhere else? You would be hopeless. There was no way out for them. They were hopeless. Guess what? And this is my point. Hopelessness breeds receptivity. And when you think about it, Christianity exploded across the Mediterranean world, and most of the Mediterranean world was occupied by the Romans. And they were hopeless too, those people in those lands. So let's talk about hopelessness and the signal it gives us for receptivity. I want you to do some research of your own. I want you to talk to some people in your own social network. Those are the people who are your friends, relatives, neighbors, people at work or school, people you already know, and people you know who are functionally unchurched, people that don't go to church ever. They show no signs of going to church. I'm not saying they don't believe in God. Maybe they do deep in their heart, but they don't show any fruit of faith. You can't judge their heart, but you can look at their actions. Go to those people who are functionally unchurched. They don't go to church. And ask them, what do you think it's going to be like for your grandchildren in this country? Or if they're older people and they have grandchildren that are maybe going to get married soon or already married and maybe you're going to have kids, just reframe the question to say, what do you think it'll be like for your great-grandchildren? Just projected about 15 years out. And after asking a few thousand people like this and having many Christians do the same, we've discovered what you're going to hear. You're going to hear abject hopelessness. And if you listen and don't say a word, and you don't have to say anything after that, just listen, you're going to hear people say, I don't think my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren are going to have Social Security. I'm afraid they're going to get shot while they're in preschool. I feel like drugs are going to be so available to them that they're not going to have a chance to grow up. You can go on and on and on. Just listen to what these people have to say, and they'll tell you everything you need to know. The bottom line, the summary of all of this is these people, by the millions, when you ask them about the future, they don't think it's going to be very good. That's a sign and a symbol of hopelessness. And hopelessness is a sign of receptivity. So, look at your New Testament, 1 Peter 3.15. What does the apostle write to Christians? Be ready at all times to share the hope that is within you. Oh, man. Is that powerful or what? So, if we train people to be ready at all times to share the hope that is within them, if we train people to be missionaries to their social networks, in this moment in history, when people are that hopeless and that receptive, what an opportunity. Now, to think this way and to train people in your church to be missionaries, to go through something like Healthy Churches Thrive for 36 months and 
encourage those who are willing, not everybody, but those who are willing to learn, to grow, to think out of the box with some of the strategies I'm going to share in this episode. It takes what we call adaptive leadership. Adaptive leadership are people who look around and say, oh, the situation has changed. The world has changed. The dynamics have changed. We need adaptive measures to get to the same objective of reaching the world for Jesus. We are not going to change the content, but the way we package it, the way we strategize how to reach, yeah, that's got to change. No problem. We don't have to be like those monkeys who don't know why they're doing what they're doing, but it doesn't seem to work anymore. I remember a book that came out in 2015 that is really great book about adaptive leadership. It's by Todd Bolsinger, and it's called Canoeing the Mountains. The subtitle is Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory. <laughs> he uses the metaphor of Lewis and Clark, who were given orders by the president. They were exploration people. They were given orders by the president to go up the Missouri River to the very beginning of it and see where it might come from the west coast and so they canoed up the river because the president wanted to have a shipping channel by river which is the fastest way people got around back in those days in the u.s and so they were looking for a way a river that went all the way to the west coast because they knew the west coast was there and they knew there was an ocean over there but they didn't know how to get goods and services to that West Coast and goods and services from the West Coast to the East Coast. So they were looking for a river that went there. And so these guys started canoeing and canoeing and canoeing up the river, but they ran into the Rocky Mountains and discovered there was no river going the West Coast. So they said, well, we've got to figure out how to get through the mountains then. So they ditched their canoes hence the title Canoeing the Mountains. And they bought some horses from some Native Americans and hired a guide. And then when they got to the mountains, they found some other Native Americans that knew how to climb the mountains. So they hired some mountain climbers that would help them get through the mountains and who knew where the passages were able to be transversed. And then they actually made it to the West Coast, but it wasn't by canoe. They adapted to unchartered territory. I'm telling you, that's what, where we are today. We're in a secularized nation that is uncharted territory. We can't use what worked 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, to reach the unchurched people in our country, who, by the way, are very receptive. So don't get into the situation where you blame the unreceptivity of pagan people, that your church is not growing because they're not interested. But look into the mirror and see where the real issue is and say to yourself, how many traditions and strategy are we hanging on to that don't work anymore? Be an adaptive leader. So let's talk about what doesn't work anymore. Well, it's practically insane from a biblical perspective to tell people to invite their unchurched friends to church, to worship, because the platform in the world we now live in is not a building or a worship service. 
The platform for reaching people is relationships. Maybe it's always been that, and we just got lazy. I don't know. Maybe we just got into building. I don't know. But you can't invite people to church that are first-class non-Christians. Actually, you can't follow the strategy, y'all come. Y'all come to my church. Y'all come to my vacation Bible school. Y'all come to this, that, and the other thing we're having at the church. Actually, you might have to get back to the biblical strategy that Jesus used, which wasn't y'all come. Oh, yeah, he said, come unto me, all who are just laboring under issues, if you're receptive already. But what he really said to his followers is, don't drag people to your building. He said, go, go to them. Be missionaries to them. I'm sending you to them. Your ambassadors, the Apostle Paul says, for Jesus, the King of the universe. Go be an ambassador. You can't stay home and be an ambassador for your country. You have to go to other people. It's the go strategy. It's the Great Commission. Go make disciples of the whole world. Now, your personal mission field are the unchurched people in your social network. Don't worry about talking to strangers, knocking on doors, and interrupting people's dinner. Your social network, your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, people where you work or go to school, those people who are unchurched in those categories are your personal mission field. Your pastor is not going to reach them. The pastor doesn't have the relationship. Some evangelism committee is not going to reach them because they don't have the relationship. Relationship is the platform for reaching unchurched people today. So what do you do with someone you know who is a friend or relative, neighbor, someone at work or school that is not a Christian? Well, you wait until they show a sign of receptivity, which is usually they share with you a challenge a problem, a difficulty in their life. And they share it with you and they won't share it with anybody else because of your relationship. Now, what we train people when we train them to be missionaries through this 36-month Healthy Churches Thrive is we train them to begin a lifestyle of sharing God's stories now, this is not a program. Don't make it a program. You'll mess it up. You'll ruin it. There's a method for equipping these people, but it changes the culture of these people, their Christian culture. And if you don't know how to do that, don't start. You'll ruin it in your church. Now, that's a whole other subject, but I'm just warning you. What you want to do is you want to build the culture among people who are willing to learn in your church, those who have holy discontent, you want to build a culture of sharing God's stories. Now, I've done a podcast about that, but we also do this in training in Healthy Churches Thrive. But for now, you just share what God's done in your life, if God has done in your life something that is remotely related to the challenge that they're facing in their life. And that's 
where it begins. That's not where it ends, but that's where it begins. And this happens because you remember that Christianity is a movement. And movements take place, one person catching it from another. So Christianity is more caught than taught. And it happens on their turf in your relationship or at work or at school or over the backyard fence or over coffee. So if you know an unchurched person and they're showing receptivity, don't take them to church. Take them to coffee or lunch or anything like that. Now, we'll talk about another strategy here in a couple of minutes. But just to be reminded, this movement, this movement of Christianity, a revival, renewal in churches and revival in the land is an act of God, but it has some characteristics that are common every single time. And I shared this before. One is that people know their spiritual gifts. The other is that the leaders of the church, the pastor, staff, and leaders, understand the priesthood of all believers, and so do the people, so that they understand that the people that are pastors, apostles, evangelists, prophets, teachers, those kind of people listed in Ephesians 4, are equippers of God's people to do the work of ministry. They don't do the work of ministry for people. Their work of ministry is to equip all God's people for the work of ministry. That's called the priesthood of believers. And the third element is that people are trained to be missionaries, which is what we do in Healthy Churches Thrive, which leads us to our last major strategic teaching. The strategy is what we call send centers. Now, I spoke before about young people trained in SEND North America, those 18 to 29 who are faithful, available, and teachable, and for 10 months go through a boot camp and become missionaries to America. Now, we're using the word SEND, which is the word mission, in another way, and we're talking about SEND centers. Every church ought to have many SEND centers. What are these places? Well, there's somebody's house, some member of your church who opens their home. Now, this doesn't work unless these people have had mission culture development, which is what happens in Healthy Churches Thrive, and that's where they learned about SEND centers. What SEND centers are are outreach extensions of your church. They're multiplication mechanisms of your church. So, first of all, the few of you that are members of your church that gather together at somebody's home on a regular basis and operate a send center are people who understand clearly that you would not invite someone who is not a Christian to a worship service because you understand there's no reason in the world why a non-Christian would want to attend a worship service where you worship the God that they don't believe in yet. So instead, the practice and the sensitivity and the power is inviting them 
to a home to share a meal. Everybody can bring the food, doesn't have to rely on the people that own the home. But you have these regular times where you have a meal. And if you're Christians that are allowed to drink wine or beer, definitely have that also. Whatever people do when they socialize, when they're from your church. If there are people that don't drink wine and beer, don't have wine and beer. But have it as a social event, and especially around food. And don't have to masquerade and lie to people or do bait and switch and say, hey, I have some friends. We have dinner with them regularly with some other friends, and some of them are from our church. Others are just their friends that show up, and we have a meal, and then we watch these fascinating DVDs that are really interesting, and they're about Christianity, but they're really good. And so you invite them not to a church building or a worship service, but to a home. Everybody knows what homes are. They've been in homes before. That's not foreign. Everybody eats. That's not foreign. And everybody knows fellowship. That's not foreign. And if you take them along, then it's real safe for them. And so you go, you have a meal, they meet the other people. It's a fellowship gathering. There's no Bible study. There are no Bibles. Nobody's preaching. No pressure. And then after the meal, the strategy is so simple. You insert the DVD and you play it. And you use the outreach DVDs, Introduction to Christianity, called Alpha. A-L-P-H-A. Go online and get them. They're free. They are a multi, multi-million dollar production of the greatest and softest and most tender, well-thought-out introduction to Christianity in the world. And they are the most common outreach tool used throughout the world, everywhere, in almost every country. It is a brilliant introduction to Christianity. And over time, people are going to grow and learn. If they show interest, you're going to get a chance to invite them to church. The send centers are still part of your church. They're not on their own, but they can grow. And if they grow and outgrow a church, the group can also move into a location in a marketplace like an empty store and rent it. And the people can get to a size where above and beyond their offering to the home church that's extending this out there can actually pay the rent for this extension into another location that is more public in the marketplace that will reach some people that may not feel comfortable at a home. Also, as churches grow with send centers, they can train missionaries to actually start to have worship, but the offerings go to the main church. Think of a church that has room for, I don't know, 300 people in worship, or 100 people in worship, doesn't matter, 
that might have 20, 30, 100 send centers that are easy extension step-ins to Christianity for unchurched people. And then think of the growth of that church as it multiplies in multiple locations. So yes, I have hope for Christianity. And absolutely yes, I have hope for America. And yes, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And there would be no hope without Jesus Christ. And yes, your church is the answer. And yes, you are, as a Christian, the answer. And yes, learning different strategies is the answer. And yes, the hopelessness of people and the disruption of our civilization is part of the solution. People are ripe for God. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for this three episodes of uh, Opportunity to Look at Hope for Christianity, the challenges, the transition, and the hope. And I thank you for those who are listening and praying and thinking about, wow, maybe we can do this. I pray they will seek whatever help they need and that you will guide them to be great beacons of Christianity at this window of opportunity that you've given to us. And Jesus will give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.